0: Welcome to the Future of Gaming. The FogDAO is a group of builders and investors bringing you the best content on how new technologies can be used to make better games. Enjoy the show. GM friends and welcome to the Future of Gaming. You're listening to our weekly podcast. I'm recording this where I am 7 a.m. on the 21st of uh, October. We've got the crew, Devin Becker, Philip Collins, and we have a very, very special guest, Vijay Sundaram, um, the co-founder and CEO at Luda. And today we're diving into um, the hot topic this week, or the past weeks, which is creator royalties on NFTs. Do they make sense? Do they have to be there? Is royalties the future of monetization? Let's see. Uh, Before we dive in, you guys probably know myself, Devin and Phil, but Vijay's new face or voice Vijay, you wanna um give us a short intro about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Um <clears throat> my background uh is a mix of product design, development engineering, and uh spent a bunch of my uh most recent time at Google uh running an RD lab for interactive entertainment and looking at new kinds of gameplay and storytelling and creative tools using machine learning. Uh and most recently made the leap to start Luda as co-founder and CEO, um, where we're kind of thinking about those types of story worlds, uh, sandbox games, places where players can make amazing things with next-generation tools, um, but now actually giving people the ability to own the things they create uh, through NFTs, being able to be part of DAOs that are uh, collectively owning the ITs that we're building, and, uh, and so that's what we're doing at Luda. Love it.
0: By the way, when you described to me what you were doing at Google, I was like, hey, that's exactly what we're doing at FogDAO. But then legit, you know. Um, so, no, that's really cool. Like, like looking at what you can do with new technologies for interactive entertainment's really like that. Um, and when are we setting up the good, R&D lab? Here? royalties in games. <laughs> yeah, we're like these these kids in the in 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 like in uh, in in the garden, you know, messing around with like sticks and stones, um, you know, and then
1: and then there's people hey, actually I'm doing the real stuff. It's not that different. It's not that different. Although I guess <laughs> it, it's like you know a much larger check sides to do it with but that's the same true. thing yes yeah, it, it really is like kids in a candy shop and, and yeah. at least some research
0: yeah love that good all right so royalties in games what's the context here so it seems to be um mainly in the solana space where there is essentially a bunch of exchanges who are like oh we're not doing royalties anymore and there's even also some projects putting royalties at zero percent so maybe the context for royalties um essentially what's being done like in the nft contract when you create an nft you can put in that contract a royalty rate um that means that when someone buys an an, an nft so when there's a transaction of an nft um a percentage that you can decide of that transaction gets withheld and goes towards towards the wallet which could be the wallet of of the creators which could be could be a uh, a treasury of of the project um and so that's you know that that principle got a lot of people very excited because it's something that you couldn't really do um, off the blockchain, right? Because it's really different, difficult to enforce these kinds of, kinds of things. Um, but the problem was, and so a lot of. Projects started monetizing around that. They were saying, "Okay, we're going to sell at a low price, and we're going to make sure that one, the the value of the assets itself increases, and also the amount of transactions that people do. Like you're going to incentivize trading instead of holding, because that's the way you make money." And so we can have discussion about whether that is actually like a good thing and whether that makes sense. Um, And so, you know, they would make it so that on OpenSea, there was a lot of training, And so interestingly, on OpenSea, there was an, an X percentage that went to the creator, but also a percentage that went to OpenSea. Um, and um, what's happening now is that a few exchanges are saying like, hey, screw that. We're not going to enforce these royalties anymore. So, you know, whenever a transaction happens, we might take our cut, but there's zero going to the creator. Um, and the reason they can do that is because in the NFT, there's also a transfer function that means that you can transfer from your wallet to another wallet that's owned by you and this is as a sort of fail safe for if you lose your key or something like that or you're setting up a new wallet um it's it's not it's you should be able to transfer it between your own wallets and you don't have to pay a fee on that um and so that that, that's also baked into the nft code um but now exchanges are using that as a function to call when a transaction gets made uh which means that they can using that bypass the royalties uh, which is problematic if you've built your business around making royalties right because now like where's your money coming from coming from um did i did i miss something is that is that a good background yeah i think so good um so yeah that's that's the situation um let's go around the table i have a lot of thoughts uh but i'd like to
1: have yours first um vj you're the new star on the show What do you think? No, you know what I'm going to do? Before I start dropping hot takes, I I have some questions because I don't actually know the answers, but I've been very curious to know. Uh, Do you guys have any data or have you seen any analytics around, I guess, just what the economics of these look like? Like, for example, um, how much money going to craters comes to mint sales versus royalties? Or, you know, if if you peel apart the royalty streams coming from the biggest whale projects, like what actually is left, um i have a bunch of opinions but i don't have data i want to ask first before i start dropping them so i don't look completely dumb uh but yeah i'd love to hear that and i'm sure i'm going to start off with some thoughts if if we don't have any
0: my my initial answer to that feels like any significant amount of um like the 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 so essentially, we're differentiating between primary sales and secondary sales, right? Primary sales is money that immediately directly goes towards the the project owners, and then on, based yep. on the secondary sales, a sales, percentage gets gets kept by the team as well. Um, and so for me, it seems like broadly there is scam versus not scam. Scam makes most of its money in primary sales, and then they're like just abandon the project and yeah, fuck you. Um, and then you know the 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 non scam projects seem to generally sell at a fairly low. Uh, price and then uh, prioritize monetization um, on, on, those, on those secondary sales because, you know, that's the ethical way to do because, you know, if, if you're making money on secondary sales, theoretically someone else is also making money on secondary sales. Um, and so I, I don't know the exact distribution, but I, I would say like, for example, Axie, it's literally 100%, right? Because they didn't sell their, their uh, NFTs initially, um, hey, hey. Similar, similar to our friends at Limit Break, free to own. Yeah, that's a future, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they also free to own that it's in the name, right? They give it away. And now I don't know, they're right. probably not right. making that much because we, I think right. two weeks ago, we looked at, um, like the volume there and it's, it's tiny. Um, but it seems to me like most of the, the legit projects are actually mostly monetizing on the secondaries. I think it's yeah, important think that on the
2: secondary uh, sales. I've seen everything from, you know, two and a half percent to 10% on those, on those secondary transactions being taken by the, the creators.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's important to separate yeah, out I mean, though. A, part, um, sorry, Go ahead, between the, I think I must be lagged here. Um, to separate out between the artists' uh, royalties and the developer, like the project runner, because like um, generally, like you know, in a lot of uh, film and art and stuff like that, a lot of times royalties, especially, are not given to the artists and stuff like that. But I think in this space in particular, because of the promise, like Nico was saying about being able to make the revenue that way, I think this is an industry where artists generally are doing things for a lower pay and mostly looking for that royalty. So I think more than even the developers, like, or whoever's running the project, it's the artists that get shafted the most on that, because I don't think they do it. And again, I don't have the data to back this up, but I really think realistically, they are usually doing it for very low upfront thing. And they're not taking even, I don't think, primary sales necessarily so much as royalties only and possibly getting an upfront payment from the the developer of it, depending on the structure that they do. So I think it's important to separate out those two t- entities in terms of how those royalties are distributed. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, it, you're, you're,
3: you're,
1: you're, sorry, sorry you're, so you're, just to clarify, you're, you're, you're talking about a context where someone like developers got a project, they hire an artist, and they're part of their negotiation with cart artist for compensation is royalty. And in that case, there's like a, a massive, yeah, that's a super, super. Oh, cool. uh,
0: I, I was thinking that's, um... You meant the, so one of the things that got me excited initially about NFTs was that it actually solves a really big problem in the traditional art world, which is that artists, they, as as we said, you can't enforce royalties on secondary trades in the real world. And so a lot of artists that went viral, sort of say, um, actually like never really made a lot of money on, based on their own virality, they essentially had to build, like, do new shit, sell new arts that then would reflect the increased price for their work on the secondary market, and so through royalties they could actually directly benefit from that, and so that that way, like, they weren't forced to like make new art and and maybe even dilute themselves that way. Um, mm-hmm. But okay, so it's it's in both cases, one, it's it, this royalty system works well for artists not necessarily for people that create art as an art NFT, but also artists in a term, in, in other like, NFT contexts. Because um, I guess they also yeah. have no power, right? Because there's not much to do. There's no utility, almost by definition, for their art. So there's no other things they can do around it.
3: I would say it's kind of similar to the idea of bands, right? The way they make money off performing the concerts more than they do the album. Same kind of idea, and there but there's no performative aspect for art in the, in the in the NFT world, and so there's no performance to make the money from. So like like you were saying, they have to sell new stuff instead, and so like that that lack of ability to make money off of something going forward with that particular piece, I think is important. But sorry, go ahead, VJ. I think we're all kind of like a little bit lagged here. No, uh, more than usual. No, no, it's totally okay. It's okay. It's uh, fine
1: for us. Maybe annoying for the the listener. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, and there's so many, there's so many thoughts uh, on this. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tease a bunch of stuff, and we should pull on whichever one do you guys find interesting. So, one of it is kind of like um, this idea of what's a native business model for some of these activities. I really like that conversation, and um, in that sense, actually, I've got a lot of hard takes against um, royalties, but actually, in the context of art and artists, which is. Actually, when I was looking at this and I was actually trying to figure out, do, do royalty mechanisms like the one we're talking about exist? And it turns out the inspiration for this exact mechanism of a percentage of a resale goes to the original creator actually does exist in the notion of art royalties in Europe. I think there's a certain European art uh, royalty model, which this is exactly lifted from it. At first, I was like, oh, people have made this up to create some sort of, you know, ongoing stream, but it's actually real. And it makes sense, you know, if you think about it for all these we're talking about for artists where this gets a little busted is when you then not take a business model that actually makes sense for art and the nature of art and what it's like to be an artist and what they're creating. And then you say, I'm making, uh, you know, 500 passes to a clone. Well, does that actually warrant, um, royalty business model, right? Or I'm going to make 10,000, uh, pick your animal of the month PFPs. Like, does that actually warrant the 5% business model? Because it's not, Really, the same dynamic: someone making a one-of-one art that they labored over for five years, and they're putting on sale. And so now, I think the downstream consequence of all of that co-opting of this art business model with royalties into these other project areas, where people, I think, rightly can ask, "Is why? Why does my club membership pay back five percent to the person who created the past with, you know, like a copy paste of this thing?" Uh, and to them, traders, and I think in Solana, you probably have a little bit more sensitivity to. These like fees because Solana is a low-cost chain and there's a certain dynamic of transaction volume and speed and cost that probably gets people thinking a little bit more about okay, can I save the extra percent or two or three? And maybe they're rightfully asking, like, on attaining to you know certain projects that aren't art projects. This and so that's just kind of collapsing the model into zero, even though it actually served a purpose for some people. And so I think there's like a big problem there of. We've kind of like force fit this business model that's right for maybe one type of creation into everything else, and that's kind of collapsing itself. Um the other set of things, which we could talk about later, um, just to leave that thought on the table, is like what kind of incentives royalties create in your community. And uh yeah, this this I've got this is where my strong opinions against all this stuff from, but I do have very very much empathy for the art impact on the or the artist impact of this kind of where we ended up.
3: I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, aren't you, regardless of whether or not you like the business model, it's been established with what you're doing. And if you are not charging the royalties and you're using the end arounds, like Nico said, aren't you just violating the business model regardless? Like if people don't like the royalties, they shouldn't buy the thing. But if people are just saying like, no, we're going to resell it. Like it it feels like tax evasion. It's one of those kind of back alley deals to try and get around it. Like, oh, I sold it out of my trunk. So I don't have to to pay a, a royalty on this. Like, At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't matter whether you like it or not, like you're straight up violating it. And like it's supposed to be code is law, but the problem is obviously we put in that one back door and it's like, well, then that's maybe where we need to address it again, is back at the code level. Um, I mean, we can obviously go discuss like whether or not we think it's a good idea business model wise, but like if if exchanges are saying, like, hey, we're gonna make money off our business as Magic Eden or whoever else, but we're also gonna screw over the people who are doing whatever, Mm -hmm. like. I think, I don't think that's ethical, period. Like, I don't think there's like a a gray area there. I think it's unethical because Magic Eden makes money, right? Like their business. And therefore they're making money off of violating the business model of other people and taking, like, I I think Magic Eden probably still takes a cut, right? I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the setup is, but they're probably still making money off of it. And at the end of the day, like they're screwing over someone else to get their cut. And I think that should be called out more than anything else is like there's there's no ethical dilemma there. Yeah, I mean I guess the the way
2: they can try to validate it to the to the people that are buying is the fact that they're providing a service on each transaction. And so every time you use a Magic Eden platform, they're the enablement layer for the transaction. And so you can say, yeah, the creator sold it up front. Um, we're, we're facilitating future transactions. I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but um, I think you know they're they're kind of providing value at each step of the way uh, versus the creator whose value could theoretically be viewed as happening up front at one time in history. And then it's kind of out of their hands as soon as they sell that the asset. Um, um, but I mean, from the consumer standpoint, too, on on avoiding these fees, I mean, we've seen this in in gaming through through the Counter-Strike market, right? And the creation of gray markets in gaming to skirt platform fees and go independent. And so there's definitely been plenty of evidence of individual consumers trying to get around this because, you know, who wants to pay or who wants 5% of my cut to go to, to a massive, massive platform that, you know, Theoretically doesn't need <laughs> doesn't need that money. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess on on both sides, we, we've seen the platforms validate their actions and we've seen consumers try to say,
1: don't care, we're still gonna go around you anyway. That's that's how the physics of these systems are are really set up. It kind of, I think comically for a lot of people who don't like Web3 to watch this with popcorn because you know, like we're talking about here, um you kind of have this dynamic. So Magic technically I think right now has dropped their fees to zero. They haven't quite decided when they're going to turn on the fees. It's sort of temporarily waived. They're trying to do things like give people the choice to give foil fees, right? But in the end, there's like a physics of the system, which is, well, all those users are telling them, well, I'm just going to go to this other marketplace. Yeah. And in the end, they kind of can make themselves whole when they need to. Um, and so they have a way to essentially you know, capture value back when they're ready to, you know, get past the space. Um, but but you know, like some of this it comes down to this. There's someone who had a really great saying, which was like, you could go, um, it's like you could engage in some kind of service provider opportunity where tipping is a big part of it and you know it is, and you could just choose not to tip. You could do that. Sure. You're just a jerk. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a bit of like a social contract that's fallen apart because we're in bear times and now we got to decide whether we want to enforce that more harshly. But now you have an ecosystem of people who believe in like ownership and decentralization and now we're like, well, but let's create this contract. So you have to pay the 5% right? and let's like go after people who don't. And that's, uh, I definitely don't uh, disagree with that's what we have to get to, but it is, it is very hard. I think now for all these actors reconcile it and of course some are much more profit motive to stick with the values of Web3 and not have to do anything about it and um it's just a kind of a it's an awful pickle uh for like the the ethos to clash with this reality
2: yeah and i mean the openness of this marketplace is also creates problem where a lot of them have kind of become commoditized where it's a race to the bottom on the fee side of you know if, if they're charging one percent and somebody else is charging two percent I'm not really getting any additional value other than maybe liquidity if there's a bigger audience for my asset on the 2%. So I'm just going to go wherever it's cheapest. I don't really care outside of the fact that I can securely sell my asset to hopefully a sufficiently large base of people. Um, and that's why it's going to converge on or get straight to 0% as we've seen.
3: Well, here's the easy tit for tat on that. Basically, you just go, okay, I'm going to use Magic Eden to help find a, a buyer. And then we're going to negotiate outside of Magic Eden and cut them out of their feet. Like it's only fair, right? Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. what they're doing to the royalties because they're racing to the bottom because they're doing it for their competitive, oh, well, other marketplaces are doing it. We need to stay the dominant marketplace to be like, well, I mean, people do that on eBay, for example, where they're like, I don't want to give eBay the fee. So we'll negotiate outside of eBay. And like, there's like rules against that and all that sort of thing, specifically because people do that because they'll negotiate out of it too. And obviously, like I said, we, we probably have to get back to code as law kind of way of dealing with it. Because the social contract, as Veja said, is is already been violated. Like it's broken at this point, and it's just cascading because of the race to the bottom aspects that Phil's pointing out. Because it's a it's a capitalist, you know, uh, competition at this point, and that drives that there. And then and then the 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 smart contract stuff is supposed to be part of the answer to capitalism, which is that you know we are saying like okay, we're going to enforce it in code, and therefore we don't have to worry about anti competitive stuff going on because the code is enforcing it. So obviously we need to look at those contracts, and maybe we need to say like. There, oh, yeah, maybe you can't re- send it from your wallet to your wallet for free, but that's a recovery fee. That royalty is mm-hmm. not a recovery fee. Like, Obviously, like different markets and different demographics, art or music or games, have different reasons for having royalties that make sense or, or don't make sense. And like, maybe then we need to evaluate that as an ongoing thing. But I think at the end of the day, if, if we want royalties to stick around, we're going to have to close the loopholes. And obviously, it's hard to do that with an existing project. There's still potential. For depending on how they set up proxies and stuff like that to like fix that. But I think part of the problem was like the way we set up the standards to didn't really have that baked into like the ERC-721. The and so maybe we, we've seen like a couple of 721R kind of things where they're like revisions to standards with refunds or whatever else. And uh, I think maybe as we evolve these standards, we could have a separate standard that has royalties enforced and then marketplaces can choose to accept that standard as part of their thing or not. Like and they just reject those uh items altogether. Uh and they there's no like, oh we rejected the fees, it's just we're not carrying those types of uh items on our marketplace.
0: One so I'm gonna I'm gonna um react to, to that because I, I fully agree. One thing I, I just was thinking about is it's interesting that it's happening to Solana and not so much in the ETH space. And I feel like this is a consequence of Solana being a younger chain. And developers, it's like, oh, there's a new chain that's getting traction. Let me build the next OpenSea. And so essentially, the difference between Solana and and, and Ethereum um, is that there's maybe five to ten like medium medium-sized exchanges on Solana, and there's one very big exchange on on Ethereum. And <clears throat> you know, on Ethereum, if you like, a lot of people actually create a collection on OpenSea. Right, and and so you know, there's just a lot of monopolistic power um, on ETH uh, when it comes to enforcing these transaction fees, and it feels, you know, um, paradoxically that because there's a monopoly, there's actually like more um, uh, adherence to the social contract essentially, and and the moment you have like real competition, which is as capitalists something what that we always want we actually start not doing the things that we should, uh, which is which is kind of uh, interesting and, and paradoxical. Uh, anyway, so my, my response, Devin, I, I think... So for me, there's two conversations here. One is, are royalties the right way to monetize here? I think um, that's a discussion I, I would suggest we do like towards the end. And now we can talk about how this plays out and, and what the good solution for this is. Um, and so the way I look at this is, I think um, royalties... Are, and this is actually already an answer to the second part of, of what I want to talk about. I think royalties are a tool in a toolkit of digital asset monetization and everything around that. And I think we have been over-indexing on it. Um, that said, I think that we will see an NFT standard that has non-avoidable royalties. So royalties baked in. With the consequence of we need to find a solution for people to be able to send an NFT from one of their own owned wallets to another one. Um, But one where every time you transfer, you can enforce a royalty, which then begs the the question of, okay, how are you enforcing royalties? Um, Because you could say like, okay you can only send if someone else is paying for this asset, but then people could start paying 0. 0.0001 ETH for an asset, pay for royalties on that, and then it's it's negligible. And so you're going to have to use an oracle to look at the floor price of your assets to base a fair royalty percentage on that inside the contract. Um, I, I, that's at least how I see this play out. Feel free to, to suggest some other ways to do this, but that seems like the the only, you know, clear or fair way to enforce like normal royalties uh, fair royalties anyway so that's i think um what we'll have to see and then when it comes to uh, when it comes to the problem of you know wanting to transfer things between your own wallets um wh-
3: what did you call it Devin? a recovery fee yeah treat it as a recovery fee because you shouldn't just be moving stuff between your wallets every day it's not yeah just because they're free doesn't mean we should use them like they're disposable Yes. I, and I would say, I think that there actually um,
0: will be solutions for that. So I think there will be a way to prove that you own two wallets. And the moment you prove that, um, anyone can also will also know that no one else owns that second wallet that you prove is yours. Um, And the way I think we'll do this is through like digital identity and like decentralized identifiers and stuff. It's, it's, I I had a conversation um, with the founder of Disco on the Metacost a few weeks ago. And and we're talking all about like your backpack from the metaverse. It's essentially like a bunch of identifiers that you keep with you that you can choose essentially like what you share. And so for example, I could share the fact that I'm, that I played this game or the fact that I'm, you know, 31 years old without sharing anything else about myself.
3: Similar to or pods. Can, sorry? If you're familiar with the pod concept of like where you where you're basically in control of your personal information, how you share it with advertisers, things like exactly. that. Yeah. Same concept. Exactly.
0: And so, you know, using that, you could prove that you own a wallet and the moment you can prove yeah. that you own a wallet, you can then, we can remove the the need for a fee. But then like this, this all needs, you know, a bunch of, bunch of time. And so for me, I agree that there's going to be a race to the bottom on the royalties. I think we should have a really good discussion about whether royalties make sense. I think in in some cases they make a ton of sense, and I think they, those should be like completely enforced at the contract level, so we don't have to rely on marketplaces or other actors. Because as you said, like you know, code is law. Um, don't trust verify. Hey, that's the Web3 ethos, man. We're not going to start requiring or hoping that marketplaces um, you know help help us out here. Anyway, so um i think that's that's my take i think we it will be a viable tool and we like at some point it will bake it will it should be
3: baked into the contract i, I think where it'll be really interesting um is it, uh, i kind of hinted at it earlier which is the performative aspect so like while art generally isn't always performative there are things like gallery showings and stuff like that so let's say for example you wanted to do a thing where you're selling tickets to a gallery and a percentage of those ticket sales go to all the art that's being displayed, and there's some kind of thing baked into the contract that is like a a performative fee thing that that you deposit to, like you you call that contract address, you know, pay the performative fee based off the ticket thing and the percentage and the number of things being shown and all that sort of thing. Um, and so there's that kind of aspect for art, but where I think it's really interesting is as I come from back where I did a bit of DJing, and there's the the world in the world of DJing, there's the, the ASCAP stuff and the other stuff where you're technically supposed to be paying a royalty for performing the music uh, because you're doing it technically commercially even if you're not being paid uh you're performing it as if you're you know and you're getting paid for that in theory and therefore you should be giving a percentage of that and so like there was that there was the period where like i was in the middle of streaming stuff online when this happened and they passed all those laws around streaming online where you had to suddenly be and no one really did it right like it's similar to this there's royalties issue where everyone's just like yeah yeah we'll totally yeah we'll pay those ASCAP stuff. But now we have an opportunity to start trying to enforce that at the code level so that DJs, when they perform, uh, can be then uh, paying that. The problem is how we distinguish, for example, when they're just playing it at home versus when they're performing. Like, even if you were to enforce it at the software level, how do you stop them from using another piece of software and all these sorts of things? And it becomes a very complicated technical problem. But if you could come up with a good solution that wasn't easily worked around or that people followed with some level of social contract, it would be a pretty interesting way to, uh, to start to pass that back because there's a lot of musicians, not musicians, but music producers in the DJ world that are very independent, like a lot of record labels that are very at the indie level in the like electronic music or even rock or whatever, right? Where they're at a very indie level and supporting them isn't like supporting the man kind of thing. It's not supporting a big corporation. It's supporting the ability for them to continue to pay, uh, you know, per- per- uh, producers to actually produce music through that label and distribute it and all that sort of thing. And like vinyl was part of a way of supporting that. Um, when it came to like music before uh, with like mm-hmm. underground electronic music and stuff, you supported it through vinyl. But as people move to electronic, that stopped being less of a thing. And you have some services like Beatport and other things where they're charging a bit more like two bucks for a, an MP3, but they're doing it like where you're kind of getting an implicit license to perform that. So you're paying a little bit more. But like, I think if we start to move into this technology where there's a bit more not necessarily enforceability, because obviously there's clearly going to be workarounds, but like a more of a uh, half social contract, half technological contract where we can pay that. But then you just, you still have to deal with the issues of like, if I'm DJing and I'm not getting paid, I'm really not going to want to pay royalties. Uh, and then maybe you have to start to go to that gallery model where the person selling the ticket is having to then mm-hmm. be the one that enforces that. And it, it's, it's a tricky thing. But I think as we start to like move into performative stuff, uh, we have to start thinking about whether royalties make sense because you're performing using someone else's assets or like the way people use photography, like the idea of stock photography with Mm -hmm. royalties, right? Where people get their, their photography reused without permission. And it's like, well, go ahead and reuse it without permission. As long as I get royalties, like those kinds of things. And I think uh, that is an area where, you know, if you open yourself up to lawsuits, it can get a little easier, I think, to enforce because you go, Hey, you didn't use the NFT version of my, of my photograph. I can sue you now. And you just say, like, legally, they have to use this particular version to adhere to the license to use that and therefore automatically pay the royalties. So you can get a little legal contracty in there, too, on the smart contracts and social stuff. So that was kind of a bit long. No, no, I mean, I, I think
1: one thing, that's, one thing that's on my brain a lot is the things we want to be true, but only were true because we were in a bubble. You know, and so like, what, what, what is probably not going to do. like? You know, the, the analogy of one of the hopes. I think you saw a lot of excitement from musicians. Um, you still do, and and I can I can understand why. I've, I've heard nightmares about the old world pushing the business model of my, my music's free, so I go on tour, right? Which is like a coping mechanism, but not actually like a successful model. Successful, successful model for an artist is. People lumped the equate, they pay for it, and that just got obliterated. So now we have this hope of this might actually be rejuvenated by NFTs, digital assets, and people are making a lot more money now doing that. Um royalties to me feels like like that in the sense that like a bunch of people made money with royalties. Uh, just like artists uh, make a lot of money with NFTs and music. But will that sustain now? You know, that people don't have this influx of number day out money is always coming in buying a thing I hope it does, I absolutely hope it does for these issues um, and, and so I'm, I spent a lot of time thinking about like just the first principles of like should it work this way you know like does it actually make sense like putting aside NFTs and the technology mechanisms it's like should people get paid every time you know a JPEGs changing hands and that's kind of going back to my original point is like actually it makes a lot of sense in the context of art where someone's buying it at an auction and that auction price cut gets given to the artist, if that was actually the world we were in, then I actually don't think you need some of these mechanisms we're talking about because the artists will only put their art in one-of-one platforms that offer that royalty. And because the artist's work is what's scarce, you're going to have that, you know, aggregation of supply and demand in places where that respect that business model or else the artist won't. Now, the thing is, Artists that were creating art on these platforms that also cater to a much very different type of buyer, not an art collector, but like a trader, a day trader, might have seen tons of money coming into them because the thing that they were selling was not a collector buying art to put on their wall and do estate for 20 years. Someone added for like a half an hour to day trade and, you know, make a and that that might not just be a sustainable expectation in any context. And so if, if you if you take out all the day trading volume, all the speculation, all of the rapid uh, fast cycle trading for some of these project types. What you're left with is a model that might actually be fine to sustain because of the, the groups that are really trying to find each other, right? The artist, the art collector Kent, And that's kind of where I'm I'm a little bit more cool on the idea of, of of having royalties be something we try to fix for everything everywhere and maybe don't need it at all because. You're building a community and a club membership. We know in the world how people pay for club memberships, right? It's a subscription. It's an ongoing, you know, it's a one-type fee. Maybe that's what it should be, but then royalties on the, the membership passes, trading hands, like, uh, kind of weird. I thought I, that actually make sense? Like, would we ever imagine a world where we should pay each other a cut back for membership passes to a club? Um, in our context, games. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, in... in in, in a gaming context, one thing that we struggle with, so we set royalties for NFTs we were creating. And I was trying to go through this kind of analysis about like what kind of incentives am I creating in this ecosystem for our project? Because we want people to come create NFTs that they love and they want to hold and never trade them. And so the principal thing was well 0% royalties because we don't want any, right? We don't want that. We don't want that to be a thing that we are hoping happens where people are trading. And you can see how projects, the higher the royalties go, the more they want people to be actively trade. And literally the incentive aligns volume of turnover, which is the exact opposite of what you want. Who wants a user base in a community that's a user for a day and a half? Like, that's just not to build brand and products, right? Like, no one, no one wants your users to leave every 10 minutes. So that felt bad. But then on the flip side, we were like, well... The other side of it is royalties actually do create some friction for trading because they take a bite out of the traders. And so we wanted to ultimately set this royalty to like 90% because it felt like 0% put it in this vague territory of like, ah, this could actually be great for traders and people want it. we set it to 90, it's like pretty, but then we're like, I don't have time to explain this and I don't want to create drama. So we set it to, you know, set it to 10%. But we're kind of leaving the option open to just ratchet it up because then in the extreme the point of view is like you know this shouldn't go anywhere but we're weird doing experimental stuff i wouldn't advise anyone trying to make money on a model that way but um but that is the conversation that pains me and uh yeah i know i'm super curious to hear these you guys there's another
3: distinction i think that this brings up which is the idea of the first sale doctrine in ownership like if someone can set royalties that determine what happens when you make a transaction do you truly own the thing kind of right where we get back into mm. those discussions mm-hmm. of if someone can mm-hmm. set the terms of what you do with something after you buy it, do you have full ownership of that thing? And obviously we still have a long ways to go in delineating ownership, but I think that starts to eat into that because that, that starts to go towards the idea of like, am I just licensing the thing? Do I own it now? Am I violating a license agreement? Am I violating some sort of thing that that is incurred from the first person who buy, bought or slash minted it? And we start to get into that territory because like that gets back to the idea that, well, You don't actually own it. The smart contract owns it and you're just transferring receipts. Right. And that, that sort of idea. And so we also still need to have that, that part of the debate and saying like, does ownership mean you can say fuck royalties and just go around them? And that's the philosophical bind.
1: You, You can't, you can't kind of trot around all day in this ecosystem talking about ownership and control and decentralization. And then all of a sudden, you know, start like backpedaling in a bear market when all of a sudden you don't want Ownership and control and decentralization it doesn't work that way, right? Mm-hmm. My, my take on that question, Devin, is
0: that we, we're going to see a new... We're going to redefine ownership because through blockchain technology, we're actually now able to program ownership where it's you own it, but these are the rules of ownership. And does that mean you own it less? Like you have all the control. You just have to adhere to these rules and you cannot avoid them because they're baked into the asset that you own itself. Um, so, like for me, this whole discussion—what um, you were saying, Vijay—around are royalties the right way to monetize these things? So, for me, the the like the foundational reason why I'm excited about Web three is because we now have a way to natively transfer value over the internet, something that we didn't have before. And the consequences of that are is that we can now tra- like program value transfer and program ownership, which means that we can in a super granular way, have value accrue to like all of the participants in the ecosystem or at the time where the value is actually created. Um, and so like, this is like, we've now, like the, the way we transfer value, which like originally was, you know, I sent you a couple of dollars, right? Is now it's blown open, mm-hmm. right? We can do anything. And that's, and that's I, I think why we're gonna like, everything on the internet is going to be like you know just infiltrated by by this this mechanism and not necessarily in a bad day, bad way potentially in a bad way so that's i guess what we have to fix right um but now we can we can do anything right so you can do royalties and and there's a bunch of super interesting things you can do um and so you know right now I'd like to to touch upon what you were asking Vijay, is like do royalties make sense as as a way to monetize and i agree that in some cases they do um and so for me if you take it back and thinking first principles, when should something um, be monetized? When should a part of the value of an asset get captured? Like at what point? And if we're talking about art and art projects, it might make sense to, you know, when the piece a piece of art changes hands to a buyer who appreciates the art more than the, the previous owner, that is then a way, like a, a time where the original creator of that art like, should be allowed to capture a bit of the value that was exchanged, right? Royalties make sense. But now let's talk about a game, right? When is value added in a game? Value is added in a game, not when you're trading, right? When you're trading an asset from within a game, that's not necessarily when you're having fun, because theoretically, like, that's what you're paying for. The value that's created within a game is a player having fun, Theoretically, right? We've seen a lot of these Ponzi schemes that essentially get, is gambling. And so we can have a discussion about that. And so the way I've always been thinking about this is, okay, you know, first principles, you should, like, a tr- like value should be captured at the moment where it is created. And so in games, theoretically, it's created when you're having fun. And so now that we can program very granularly how value gets captured, distributed, etc., what's the best way to monetize a game? I don't know. This is this is this is a wild a wild shift from the whole royalty debate. But you know, I've I I don't think the whole royalty um, system mechanism is a sustainable way to to create a game because it creates the wrong incentives. Vijay, you were mentioning this at the start, right? If if I'm as a game builder have sold ten thousand uh, assets or in general like assets within my game exists and there is always a royalty, you know, my incentive is going to be to maximize the volume, right? To maximize the amount of trading that's happened and 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 so i see this within the pitches i'm I'm getting right i'm seeing a team that's oh we're building a game and this is how we're making sure that people are trading our assets a lot so we can you know get those juicy juicy royalty fees and for me these are perverse incentives because you know if you're designing your game to maximize the amount of trading that's being done and then also like the, the speculation i guess right because more speculation higher prices means i guess one more um more royalties but also like extra, like more times you, you get the royalties. Um, it's, it's, it's not right in in my opinion. And so, you know, the, the, the nerd in me is like, no, I don't, I don't think royalties make a ton of sense. Um, as at least not as the main way to monetize, uh, games.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think this is what a lot of studios are exploring right now. And they're looking at the, the royalty argument as does this actually make us more money than legacy monetization models? And um, the, the trade-off that they're now exploring, particularly within Web3, is mainly driven by scarcity, which we talked a lot about. You know, If we look at existing games, League of Legends, for example, you know, say there's a skin in the store, um, it's basically you know, infinitely sellable. They can sell a million copies, they can sell 2 million copies, they can sell 20 million copies, and they know it's a fixed price of, of $20. Um I think a lot of these these studios especially over the past year have basically been banking on the fact that tradability reduces price sensitivity and so they're trying to do the calculation of does that reduce price sensitivity on the initial sale plus all of the derivative sales we're going to get 10% of does that actually make more sense than just selling this thing one time 20 million times um and and have it be you know entirely um entirely scalable. And so I think that's where, that's where I see most people talking about this from is like the value trade-off of which one actually makes us more money. <laughs> um, and we're just going to go with whichever one is more scalable on our, on our top line. And, you know, that's not necessarily the best player experience to Nico's point. I think, you know, the, the scarcity is a lot of times just kind of driven by, by monetization mechanics. Um, but there are definitely perverse incentives around the tradability of those assets. And if there are only 10,000, whose hands are those actually in? And are those actually the right hands they should be
3: in? I want to play a little bit devil's advocate on that though. I think there's, there's an important nuance you guys are also like missing a little bit. Um, Obviously you guys are leaning towards the side of like, hey, it's perverse incentives for the developer. But there's also the counter to that, which is that um, when it comes to allowing for secondary sales, right? So when, when players can leave a game and cash out as like, you know, it's for promoted, right? That's the big advantage to players is they can now resell their property and and reclaim some of their, their money and stuff like that. When that happens, then that's primary sales that the game developer misses out on, right? And mm-hmm. so what they're doing is they're asking for a cut of that to say like, you know, it's like the whole GameStop debate, right? Where game developers hate GameStop because now they lose out on primary sales due to, due to people buying. And that's a problem with digital assets, that physical assets don't have the same thing. So like you take trading card games, right? Those have always had a secondary market, but... That depends on maintaining the quality of the card, right? Not everyone wants to buy a card that wasn't sleeved, that was manhandled, that was overshuffled. And so like the amount of like high quality cards and like mint, you know, like the, the quality of it matters and all that stuff, that doesn't exist in the digital space, right? Unless we artificially add wear and tear. Secondary is the exact same value as primary. Therefore, like it actually does cut directly into it, right? Like that's a big problem for primary sales is if you're as a game developer saying I'm gonna open up and allow people to do this, am I screwing myself? Am I cannibalizing all of my monetization? And obviously to run any kind of game, you gotta make money. So you have to find somewhere else to make that money. And this is this is them exploring, like as you guys are saying in these pitches or whatever, can I make better money here and also seem like I'm being nicer or be more player friendly? And so I think <laughs> it's important to like consider these different avenues we're trying to explore. Yeah. If they're bad, they're they could be bad. So like, it, like to Phil's point, like if they're just being like rubbing their hands together, you know, doing a Mister Burns excellent kind of thing, you know, that's one thing. But if they're going like, hey, we want to open this up to people, but we want to make sure that we can continue to function as a business, uh, that's another thing.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Question is like, which of those do you believe is happening? I mean, I, I got a, I had a, I had a, um, like a game, a, a very deep gaming. Uh, industry person talked to me about NFTs and you know, he made the point that cause we're talking about yeah, how gamers have revolted against NFTs and they hate them. I mean, he drew the contrast between the difference between general consumers hating NFTs because they think they're scams and they've seen like people you know, uh, lose lots of money. Whereas gamers don't think it's a scam. That's how they don't understand the technology. They're just sick of being nickel and dime by the companies they work from and we're so mm-hmm. they they hate NFTs because it's a new mechanism to nickel and dime them. Not because they don't believe in them; they don't think they're valuable. It's, it's so there's a there's absolutely like a you know a dynamic there that you know, you're touching on. Phillips like, well, that tends to be kind of the industrial complex of gaming comes at it from that perspective, and players feel it. And I think mobile gaming made that extremely stark. You know, where um, free to play on one hand has been amazing. And opening yourself up to all these people try things and then it's also invited the most dark patterned uh extractive techniques to get as much money for people possible right so when people show up going it's free it's just an nft but like wait something else is coming right where where is the cash um i got i got one uh like deep thought on this and but you guys can drop it if you don't want to go there but but part of what disappoints me about a lot of where we've been is this whole ecosystem is about, we should be about creating um, better alignment between value creation and value capture for everybody. And the reason I say that is, like, we, we started to kind of come back to all the old ways of thinking about business models that are zero-sum games. And, and in a way, royalties are kind of bad, right? They are kind of just another example of like, oh, well, I take a dollar out of your pocket. And I put it in the mine. And now we're going to fight over whose whose dollar, whose pocket the dollar goes into. The thing about something like Bitcoin that was absolutely beautiful was it created value out of nothing. Whether you, you know, love or hate its environmental impact, it started from a thing that said, hey, run the server for me and effectively, and you'll get these things called Bitcoins. And they're kind of worth nothing, but maybe someone will do it. And some people did it. And other people are like, whoa, is someone doing this? Okay, so maybe it's not zero. Maybe it's like 0.0001. I, it just literally bootstrapped itself into existence, and it's creating value as it goes, not you know taking and a so part of what's um maybe there's just like a whole set of certain set of projects in this ecosystem where you can truly have that that dynamic where you're creating value hundred percent you're not trading and taking value in out pockets. spoil me feels like a version of that, but there is like a form of this that we've passed through ever, which is like. Sh- Take equity in companies, right? The entire idea of equity in companies start from zero. You hand it to everybody and we all grow the asset value of, and the enterprise value of this thing. And if we all hold it, we all gain. And no one had to take something away from someone else in that journey, right? So this is, to me, one of the cooler parts of how NFTs maybe ought to work, right? And in that you have a, some asset you're building to collections, portfolios, ID. You distribute pieces of that to everyone else and you collectively grow it together. Um, but like a bunch of really weird questions fall out of this. So one is, first of all, like, we're already we treating these things like security, but no one's admitting it. And that's going to come down hard on everyone who's basically creating a security and calling it a JPEG. Um, so that takes away your ability to actually sell at the beginning. So the only option is to give and distribute these things to people for free at the beginning, just like we do in the early stages of companies without having to do KYC and all this you know, AML and all these kind of other compliances. And if you have to hold on to a bunch of yourself, you, you can't you can't like hand out uh, you know, ninety nine percent of it because now you have no incentive to grow it. Right. You're just kinda of helping other you're just letting other people do whatever they want to do. And um You sound like let break over here. <laughs> what's that? Yeah you know so what's that, really funny? very similar uh, to that. You know, well, so I'll tell you what, I, I I don't really want to be sitting here hawking what we're up to, but um, we're thinking about UGC in Web3, right? We're thinking about worlds that people build together where the players contribute to it. And in that kind of model, you don't want 10,000 NFTs. Like You don't go to Minecraft and go, oh yeah, maybe I can make 10,000. And then you're done, man. You got to buy them for $2,000 from some yokel who's like squatting on it. No, it's like it's not how it works. You should build like millions, right? And uh, and the value of those things you create, they're personal. They're, they're emotional. They're not, oh, I made this thing and maybe I could flip it. Right. So that's where, that's what I'm saying earlier. It's you don't, you, I don't want people to hold their NFC forever. Right. Um, and when you start to think about the world that way, you end up with the same conclusions Dave's talked about, which is these things should be free. There are free millions of them. The default should be zero. They should be worth nothing. And that's okay because most people don't need them to be worth something. They want something they enjoyed playing and creating. But every now and then, if someone makes something incredibly, Valuable, right? Some cultural, social moment out of their character or their their story that should be worth a lot. And then we got to find a way for it to accrue value back to everyone else who's part of that. And we're wrestling with this now. Like my default thought is to take this approach where everyone has a bit of piece of this world. No one has to pay to get in. There's no security sale. But if you can lift, you know, the overall kind of floor cap of the entire enterprise, because a few people make an iconic character movie story whatever now people's nfts that they created are like they wanted to go from zero to a penny or 10 cents and for a lot of those people again they weren't in it to kind of make 10 cents but for some people that thing might go from zero to uh you know 100 million 10 million whatever like a, a top order mark of an iconic NFT is and then we as project creators have to be holding a percentage of those and care about that, right? And we're investing to make the great, but we're not counting on trading. We don't want that. We want long-term users. You want those. so whatever, there you go. You got my, you got my, my pick. But this is, this is why for me, like this royalty question and this business model question looms large because I think the only way to do this for everyone is to find ways in which the model you're creating is not zero sum, right? In the moment, like you see these zero sum models get sucked to zero. Just feels like a losing battle trying to like claw back to it versus try to find something else. And and in some cases, these might be a zero-sum answer, right? To me in like case of art, maybe this is zero-sum answer because the physics of art in our collection actually makes sense for what you're trying to do there. But you know, for some of these others, you know. So anyway, I'll shut up. Uh but I would love to I'd love to get first back and, and other ideas on table, but um that's the best I could come up with for what actually paves a path through this place.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, there's not much to disagree with what you, with what you said, I think, um, one thing that I've noticed within the, the web three gaming space and more broadly, like the NFT space is this sense of the moment that things are scarce, people like the, like the moment there's potential for you to sell what you own from a project for more than you bought it for, like you create this sense of like ownership, right? And so the way I see this, if if I speak to people on, on the Sky Mavis team, so the people behind Axie Infinity, sometimes when they describe some people who own like a few axes and the connection these people have made to their axes, which, you know, is stronger than something you could do if you couldn't truly own it, where you are truly, let's... I know ownership is hard to define in this space. But anyway, um, you know what I mean, right? And so the fact that like it, it's a bit like a crowdfunding where if the game does well, you do well as well. I, I think there's there's a, a space for that. I think there's value in that for, you know, oh, I'm going to build this game. We're an indie team. Um and we know that there's a, a very niche group of people that really loves this, but this will never make billions. Um but you know we want to sell a number of NFTs that will won't have any unfair utility within the game, but this will help us to to develop this. And you know, so I, I think there's there's room. Like for me, I want to differentiate between like because we have we now have a way to program value, you could do all of this shit at the same time if you're smart about it, right? And so you could like have a, a number of um a limited number of nfts that are maybe only cosmetic that you can own and, and show off and you can say tell to your friends look i'm i was an early supporter of this this game development or any of or any types of uh type of project and then but you know your game monetization model is maybe not built upon royalty fees on nfts you can do something else um, and so i guess like my main takeaway here is that um l- like you're doing vj i want people to be creative right i want to be peop- uh, i want people to be experimental i don't think like there's no one size fits all approach every game is different and and there could be a world where um like a csgo type nft model where you know it's purely cosmetic and it's it's literally like a market and and it's mm. just showing off there maybe royalties might make sense, and and you can you can really enforce those royalties. But maybe in an RPG where there's actually utility for items, maybe there it doesn't make sense. Uh, we'll have to find another way to to extract value from from the the, the value created, which is how much fun people have. Um, so yeah, that that's my take there. But I I, I fully agree that that there's like royalties. There, there's problems, perverse incentives, and um, yeah, I think um, I'm I'm. Anyone that comes to me and asks me, like, what should I do? I'm like, just, just do crazy shit. Like, just try it out. And, and we don't know what, what's the right way. And one more point I want to make is that I think the numbers you we're looking at today for games that are making, the, the, like, the royalty re- revenue they're getting is freaking huge. But that's almost all fueled by speculation. So it's, it's mm-hmm. unsustainable, right? And often even before the games come, game comes out. And then you have these teams who are looking at the market and like, holy shit, like Axie Infinity has made as much as Fortnite did or something um, during that month. So uh, yeah, that's how we're going to monetize now. But um, like not really thinking about the fact that, yeah, it's not, it's not really sustainable. And so I think lots of teams are not going to make a lot of money on royalties um, and are going to have to rethink the way they monetize yeah we don't really have a good sense for how this will work out to your point we're going to need a
2: lot of experimentation and experimentation may yield different results for different genres of game and ugc value creation may be different from a first person shooter or an mmorpg and that that can be fine Uh, depends where the value is being driven Um, but so far we almost have a a skewed view of, of how it is working or should work because all of the value that's been driven to these NFTs is based on perceived value in the future and hoping a game is eventually good sometime down the road and that somebody will want to buy it for more because of that. So I think honestly, based on the last year, we have almost no idea how it should work. Um, And we're still waiting on, on V1 to prove itself out across all these different experiences. So Um, in a lot of ways, I think the last 12 months haven't taught us a lot about these models and how it should work, even though it feels like it should, given how much money has been thrown around. But I think we have very little educated positions on what actually works because it's all been theoretical versus actionable. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what people come up with in this experimentation phase, but in a lot of ways, I think we just have to set aside the last year and say, none of that really matters on the, uh, on
3: the model side. I want to leave everyone with two questions based off of like what Vijay was bringing up that I think are important and what Nico was saying as well, is that first off the difference between intrinsic value, what something means to you to have it and extrinsic value what something means to, to in trade value or what means to other people as one thing, right? Like that's an important topic because we, we focus as Philip was just saying on like the extrinsic value where we're like looking at what is the future value of this in exchange for something else, not the future value to us, the future value to us in exchange from someone else right so that's thinking in terms of what other people value this thing as not what you value it as right and then the other question is or the other the other topic i guess to think about is is finite versus scarce everything in the universe is finite right as far as we know right, right. uh there's always some sort of a limit right but that doesn't mean everything is scarce and there's a difference between the two and i think we've leaned too heavily towards the scarce yeah. and that that goes back to the value question um, but I think those two are interrelated and we need to start thinking about the difference between finite. Finite just means there's a physics to it, right? There is a, a reality to how this thing exists and comes into existence that needs to be recognized, but that, that doesn't mean a, con- a smart contract saying there can only be 10,000 that ever exist. That doesn't have to be the physics of it. And there's different ways we could think about and experiment and do whatever. And that's why I, I presented it as an open question to think about. What do these things mean to you? And those two things, I think, are interrelated. And really, help drive the future possibilities of the space
0: um, we're 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 coming up on time here, so like if, if it's okay, I'm also going to ask an open question that people let night get start people thinking um, or uh, and that is that because we're now able to program value, I want people to think about you know cool ways to use this, and you know we can actually solve quite a few problems by program like being smart about how we design the mechanisms of the NFT. And so one example I could have is if you want if you don't want speculators to speculate on your game, maybe you can make an NFT where the royalty rate declines as you spend time within the game. So you buy the NFT, you didn't play anything and the royalty rate is at 50%. And then you know, as you play the game, it actually reduces until you've played at least hundred hours and then it stays flat at five percent or something, right? Um, all of these things are possible, right? And so like um, you know i'm I'm just if if you're doing cool shit like this, come talk to me because um, I love you already, and uh, I want to learn more uh-huh. and I want to get inspired. Um, not really a question, but uh, just a re- an open remark and invitation.
1: Yeah, I'll throw, I'll throw a little love at you. You definitely are. Um, it, it's a really good point that you think about what we've done with royalties and NFTs. There's like one very narrow implementation of business model reflected. And then literally the knob that's exposed to people is like how much the royalty is. And so it's like, keep the NFT, but make it just as easy to try lots of different things. Like you're mentioning, like time buried royalties, Right uh you know, walk, p- charge or not charge on transfer and you kinda have a portfolio of these things, which right now people see your stem at the to your point. Uh and, and we stop thinking it's like saying we got a credit card. So now we've got like a very fixed rate and one time payment and that's all everyone's ever gonna do with the credit card that they could change the rate with it. like no, this this is like such a elemental thing. So I one that I love that prompt. Um the other tiny idea or two um, has to do with the things I think you and I talked about, Nico, before, which is you can set um, you can set caps on the NFT price. Right? You, you can basically, as a creator, say, I don't want to go above a certain amount, which is uh, a way to also protect some of the, the other speculative behavior that you're worried about, and also to keep the people coming into your ecosystem from looking at downside and valuing you. You know, at a ten thousand dollar per NFT project, when you're like, I never wanted to get there. Right? A lot of these projects gonna end from, they you have a bunch of team members who bought it at the top. And for those people, even if you did a free mint, those people have $10,000 of downside that you now are under hook to explain. And so, why would you want that? And so, you yeah, know, that's also just like a version of these flavors of um, rewiring how we're thinking about all this stuff from front to back and making it easy for creators and developers to do, which, yeah, it's probably underinvested right now.
3: I and mean, watch Mac- Magic Eden find a way to just get around that price cap. Yeah.
0: That is true. Um just, just to add on top of that and then I'll, I'll, I'd love to open it to Phil for uh, for his take uh Vijay. I was talking to a indie developer who is vehemently against NFTs in games and he's gen- in general also strongly against um free to play, right? Because he's like he's against the the um aggressive monetization of 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 the game industry these days, and so um, he gave me the example of a a person, a game developer who has put literally a cap on how much you can spend inside his game at hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So he has a total of of, of two thousand dollars of um, like transactions where you can buy uh, like stuff, but the moment you reach hundred, you get just all, all everything else for free. Um, and so you know, I guess my point is that all of this like we don't necessarily have to use this programmability to maximize how much value we capture, right? Mm-hmm. We, we can find a good mm-hmm. way to, to capture this, but like, we can also use it to do good. Um, if you're doing that, also come talk to me because I, I love you. So, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm wide, widespread love these days. Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, my, my short reaction to that. Phil. No, no.
2: I mean, I think on that front,
0: game monetization has gotten more
2: aggressive because groups of, been constantly trying to figure out how to how to scale revenue from a form of entertainment that's honestly relatively cheap per hour played right i mean like we look at again like competitive games that you can get thousands of hours out of even mmorpgs that you pay 60 dollars up front for you've been able to get to at least dozens of hours out of and so that that hourly rate is pretty cheap and so selling these consumables and evergreen games has been a way of saying you know how much value can we extract while still almost giving the user the ability to tell, tell us how much value they're willing to provide? And that's the beautiful thing about whales is you're not forced to pay anything. You can get a thousand hours of entertainment for free if you really want to. Their bet is that there's enough people out there that are willing to spend thousands of dollars to offset it. And so I think, again, on the NFT side, devs are going to continue to look for ways to scale revenue and, and capture the value and the time and engagement and entertainment that they're providing to their players. and I think in a, lot of, in a lot of situations, it goes back to the point on potential scarcity uh, as a way of, of extracting even more value from these players versus having infinite assets at a fixed price up front. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think, I think we'll continue to see more of that than less. And I know at times it, it can be aggressive. And in you know, at, at times, and we've seen this in free-to-play mobile where people call it just straight-up predatory. Um, at the end of the day, you know, value extraction is going to be be a part of a business, and that's that's what
0: gaming is at the end of the day. So, <laughs> we'll we'll see, but that's that's kind of my thought. Mm-hmm. Fantastic! All right, this was a really fun conversation and um, sparked a bunch of new ideas in my head. So uh, this was good. Um, so Devin, Phil, and VJ, thanks a lot for joining, especially VJ, staying up late for us. Appreciate it. Um, really <laughs> no, fun no having problem. you. Thank it was you. Man. Awesome.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Good to meet you guys. Yeah,
0: good. All right, listener, I hope you enjoyed. Um, I hope you got inspired. Hope you learned something new. Um, If you did, let us know. If you haven't already joined the Discord, you don't have to apply anymore. It's open now. So yeah, we're, um, yeah, exactly. No scarcity mindset anymore. <laughs>
1: Yo, you run for right, me limited. on the more information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: It's like, PJ, join us, but you'll have to fill in the form. Um, so anyway, everyone who did that, we appreciate you. You're um, hopefully one of the OG members. Um, if you connected your wallet and the Mint is coming up soon, it's actually already live. So if you're smart, you can now go mint your uh, Soulbound token that we've made for you.